What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation, and you're listening to Full 10 Yards NFL Podcast. Go Raiders. Just win, baby. Hey, we're rolling. We're rolling. We fought all day. Stay tuned, man. We got something special for y'all today. You're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. To the 10, right to the 5. Scooting in for the score. Touchdown. So welcome in everyone, this is the Full 10 Yards Podcast where every yard counts. January football has started ladies and gentlemen, January football, playoff football, knockout football, this is the business end of the season and to break it all down the wildcard weekend we are joined once again by Lawrence, Lawrence welcome in, um, playoff football is here. Yeah, what, what, a, what a slate of four games, you know, two going into overtime and all everyone settled by under 10 points, so Absolute showcase for the the first week of the playoffs of the 2019-2020 season. And can't wait for the divisional round now. Mm, absolutely, some crackers, some crackers coming up next week. But we'll get to what those are uh, a bit later on in the week as well. But obviously, we'll give you a heads up on what they are. But in today's podcast, we're going to be breaking down a bit of news. Obviously, some head coaching uh, news to bring you. Uh, yes, it's that time, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Jason Garrett has gone, so I've prepared a. <laughs> A minute's a minute's applause, uh, if you will. But yeah, uh, there's a new there's a new song uh, for Jason Garrett Corner when uh, that that so happens. But uh, yeah, we'll put that on a bit later on in the podcast. Uh, second down and third down will be the AFC and the NFC wildcard games. Bit of a recap there, and then fourth down stats life, as it always is. Some bit a bit of fun with stats, Lawrence. I know you've done some uh, some more deep diving uh, this year. Did oh, you? Oh with... yeah, I've got I've got the old snorkel going. Yeah, yeah. got the flippers out. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then obviously your two minute warning would be your full 10 yards update as well but with that being said let's get straight on into it and let's get into first down first down yep so like we said at the top of the show Jason Garrett has officially been uh, ousted as the Dallas Cowboys head coach didn't take too long to find his replacement Mike McCarthy former Packers head coach took a year out um, is now going is being confirmed as the Dallas Cowboys head coach. Not quite sure what I what I make of it uh, just yet, but so uh, we have a special special podcast coming up a bit later on in the week where I talk to a very special guest indeed, breaking all that down. Someone well in there with the guys over in Dallas. So it'd be interesting to see getting his thoughts. But yeah, Mike McCarthy gets his second head coaching role. Uh, he, this was quite interesting. I found as well. He's at, during his during his year out. Bless you. During his year out, he actually employed. Cheers. Um, some analytics guys to kind of keep him in the know, keep him in the loop of of the trends in, in the league and that kind of stuff. So whilst he was unemployed, he actually employed some people. So uh, be interesting to see kind of what comes of that. Um, also, other bit of news: Wade Phillips, former Dallas head, uh, Cowboys head coach, will not be retained by the Los Angeles Rams. So um, shame, I don't think that uh, Dallas will be picking him up. Um, he's he's a really good uh, defensive coordinator, but uh, Mike Nolan uh, is the defensive coordinator for Dallas. So no Wade Phillips and uh, Lawrence. I don't know your thoughts. I don't know if you're in the mood for dancing, are you? Oh, uh, too right, too right. One of the four original members of Bucks Fizz. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. I'm I'm into my retro stuff, so it's it's fantastic that you, you've hired a British coach as yeah. well. You know, <laughs> incredible stuff. Uh, anyway, there we go. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on the Mike McCarthy hire? Um, really, really good news. I mean, looking at his um postseason record he's won 10 games in the in the postseason and pretty much any coach that reaches double figures in terms of postseason wins is is you know 
somebody that you're going to be happy to happy to have. So you know, he was Packers head coach for what was it, twelve seasons? Um, one's won a Super Bowl, so he comes with the credentials. I think it's a good move. I think they needed they needed somebody with experience. They needed someone who's who's got kind of the the quality, who's got the history. I think now wasn't the time for the Cowboys to elevate um, anybody who was, you know, some young sort of Sean McVay acolyte. It's, it's not the time. They need someone who's got the track record. And I like the fact that this is a, a former kind of NFC coach as well. So he knows the conference and it's. I think that's really important. Mm. Yeah, so I'm not really, um, I reserve the right to be agnostic, but yeah, I, reserve, I don't really know what to, to make of it yet. Uh, be interesting to see, again, kind of what the whole setup is. But I think, you know, you could have Bill Belichick there or even Mickey Mouse at head coach, but it all depends on what uh, involvement Jerry Jones wants, to be quite honest. So, um, yeah, obviously it remains to be seen how well that will work and whether, you know, apparently Mike McCarthy spent the whole weekend at Jerry Jones's house because uh, I saw a quote once, you go to Jerry Jones's house, he doesn't let you leave. So I'm not quite sure if he should be prosecuted for that but um yeah maybe maybe that'll come out in a few years time uh other <laughs> other, other little bit of news to bring you to a tagovailoa uh, has declared for the draft as well i think that was today wasn't it so um yeah he's certainly a name to look forward to in the next couple of months as uh, draft season is rapidly approaching us i know lee and all that will break that all down on their podcast and articles as well uh, obviously coming back from that injury as well uh picked up this season so it'd be interesting to see how far he drops if he does drop at all and uh, what what kind of teams are going to be kind of in play for him obviously Miami Carolina are, are early enough in the draft that they could be suitors for um was it Alabama quarterback so um yeah interesting to see uh, how that goes any other bits of news from you Lawrence or are we should we head to second down let's let's rock and roll let's, let's rock, rock and roll. roll okay let's do it let's rock and roll on second down second down Okay, so let's start off with the AFC then. So the first game up on the weekend slate was Buffalo-Houston. I'm not quite sure how Buffalo still managed to lose this one, but we'll certainly give it a go. Uh, Buffalo 19, Houston 22 was the final in overtime. If you were playing the JJ Watt drinking game, you would probably would have died of alcohol poisoning. Uh, the broadcaster's taken every opportunity to, to say his name or show him on camera. Um, so yeah, uh, it's actually the first time Buffalo had a fourth quarter lead in a playoff game since the Music City Miracle in 1999. Here's another some other stats for you. I know we've got some classics coming up later, but here's some uh, here's some freebies for you. Bill O'Brien, as the Houston head coach, was Norton 22 when his teams have faced a 16-point deficit at any time uh, in the game. But that goose egg, goose egg came off at the board as they took say this took, they took this one in overtime with a field goal. Um, Texans have never overcome a 10-point playoff um, a 10-point deficit in the playoff game in franchise history either. So um, yeah, writing a lot of wrongs there in terms of stats, um, but. That'll of course, you know, Texans one of the newer teams in the NFL, so that, that one probably sounds a bit better than it's probably worth the airtime for. But let's uh, go, re- rewind to the start of the game. Buffalo stormed out of the blocks in this one. Opening, tie, uh, opening TD drive, uh, aiding by a 42-yard run by Josh Allen. Houston pretty much dead and buried uh, at halftime, to be quite honest. Uh, Deshaun Watson... 
and the Houston uh, Texans defense uh, the offense sorry only mustering 62 yards of offense in the first half which is the lowest since um it fought for the Texans since Deshaun Watson became the starter uh, one one player I was actually quite impressed with in this game was Duke Williams wide receiver for Buffalo and making quite a number of uh, quality catches uh, including a peach on third down um in one of the, one of the last plays of the of the first half getting him into field goal range to make it 13 and 0 at the half so yeah um, Deshaun Watson and the gang got it turned around in the second half um but talking about the second half the first play on the second half was actually a bit of a bit of a weird one nearly an, almost a calamity for DeAndre Carter uh, almost confusing the rest into thinking that he didn't um, call a fair catch signal or call in a kind of leave it alone signal on the opening kickoff um pretty much chucking the ball to the referee and the referee getting out of the way but um thankfully common sense prevailed and um yeah that could have been very strange I mean if that would have held up and you know would have been a, a touchdown for the Buffalo special teams. I think uh, DeAndre Carter would literally be on the streets as we speak. So um, yeah, and they say it even got worse before it got better for Houston Hopkins. Then uh, fumbled presumably because he forgot what the ball had ta- uh, had felt like in his hands. But um, yeah, that one helping Buffalo to getting to that 16 point lead. Then Sean Watson pulled his socks up, got into the field, and yeah, him and the two stars on defense kind of took the game over. Sean Watson providing a spark with a TD um, of. 20 yards on the ground and a great uh, effort on the two-point conversion refusing to go down making it 16 to 8. Whitney Merciless then forced a Josh Allen fumble on the second play of the fourth quarter getting the crowd into it getting the crowd involved uh, and the place was rocking. Carlos Hyde then got a bit fortunate with uh, nearly fumbling the ball uh, before scoring his touchdown and um, that was off. I think it was a, there was a field goal in between there as well. So that was 19-16. Four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Josh Allen comes onto the field. Can he lead? Can he show that maturity? Can he can he lead his team to uh, the fo- a fourth quarter victory in overtime? You have to say no, really. Pretty much lost his head completely, to be quite honest. You know, from la- random lateral laterals of the ball as he's been tackled to. Yeah, intentional groundings and taking sacks uh, for turnovers on down. So, um, yeah, pretty much pressed the autopilot there towards the end of the game. So, a um, bit of an experience showing for Josh Allen. Hopefully, he can take that as a learning point, uh, learning curve for next season. But defense managed to hold firm and did actually give Buffalo another shot. De- uh, Stephen Hauschka booting one through to make, to force it to overtime. Overtime itself, the the. Uh, both teams had the possession of the ball. Buffalo actually did have a decent drive in over, over, over time, converting a few third downs, but the um, huge call on Cody Ford, uh, personal foul, taking them out of field goal range, meaning that Buffalo had to, to punt. Um, and then, yeah, one of the players of the weekend, I suppose, Deshaun Watson doing a Houdini act with the two Buffalo defenders hitting him pr- pretty much at the same time, which, because it was such a bang-bang, actually helped him to stay on his feet, uh, then bootlegged out to his right, and then... Um, Threw a 34-yarder to Taiwan Jones to set up the game-winning Kami Fairbairn field goal. Uh, a couple of other shout-outs in this one. Shout-out to Booger McFarland, uh, who in commentary decided that it would be a good idea to run a draw play on third down and then spike it on fourth. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure what he's doing there. Uh, and he also managed to draw um, what can only be described as Menel Jane Italia on the uh, on the screen as well with his little pen on the screen. So, uh, yeah, Booger McFarland having a lot of fun there <laughs> on wildcard weekend. And then one uh, final bit of a stat for you free one Deshaun Watson and Josh Allen are the first pair of opposing quarterbacks in the Super Bowl era to each record 50 yards rushing for uh, 50 rushing yards in the same playoff game so um yeah lots of uh, lots of stats in that game lots of stuff going on uh, but yeah Houston Texans taking that one uh, by the skin of their teeth and they they progress to the next round Lawrence what did you make of the game thoroughly enjoyed it um 
interesting stat that they that they said in commentary was around DeAndre Hopkins and the fact that he's so cold in the first half of games. Mm. Something like forty eighth in, in receiving in, in oh, first yes, half of games yeah. throughout the season and then second in the second half for the entire NFL. Mm. So, mm. you know, I think this this really was a case of, you know, warming up. So, you know, without DeAndre Hopkins, yes, he had that fumble when he kind of thought, oh, gosh, there's a ball. I remember that. I had one of those last week. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, for him to then step up in that second half, then that that was great. And, a, and another another little sideline here, just, just had a quick look up. Of all the teams that came over and played in London, the Texans are the sole playoff team and they're still alive, which is great. So, at least we've had one... One playoff team um, that came to London this year, mm, or that, last year, actually. Yeah, absolutely. NFL UK were dying out on that for a little while. Um, okay, let's uh, move over to potentially the passing of the guard, Lawrence. Uh, Tennessee at New England, Mike Vrabel getting one over his, uh, over his former coach. Yep, the Kings are dead. The Kings are officially dead. And I think in a strange way, it wasn't actually Ryan Tannehill who won the game for the Titans. Patriots season I think was effectively killed the week before when Ryan Fitzmagic found Mike Gesicki for that week 17 Dolphins winning score mm. forcing New England to play a wild card playoff game and miss out on a bye for the first time in a decade so maybe not the end of Tom Brady maybe not even the end of Tom Brady in New England but definitely the end of an era an era that spanned two decades, six Super Bowl wins and nine Super Bowl appearances. Nobody expected that 20 years ago. Nobody. And now we've got the next six months of speculation and conjecture as to whether Brady stays, goes somewhere like Los Angeles, or ultimately decides to end the single greatest quarterback career in NFL history. And yes, I will say that, even though I do love Joe Montana. If it is Brady's last game as a Patriot, I think it was a really rough way to go out for a living legend. His final pass, a pick six by former teammate Logan Ryan with nine seconds left. This game really did expose the Patriots for what they were. A mediocre to poor offence and a great defence on paper. They had allowed four 100-plus yard rushers in 16 regular season games. And in the early hours of Sunday morning, they were absolutely ripped apart by a game for the ages by Derrick Henry, who ended with 34 carries for 182 yards and a score. The Patriots, who had six different ball carriers themselves, failed to muster 100 in total on the ground. Game started in typical Patriots fashion. In the first minute, Brady had thrown for 50 yards, including a 29-yard screen to James White. But the opening drive stalled at the 18 before Falk kicked a 36-yard field goal. Ryan Tannehill then mounted a really impressive 12-play touchdown drive for the Titans, which included a brief and, and slightly strange cameo from former starter Marcus Mariota, who completed a four-yard pass to Titan Michael Pruitt. I'm not sure whether he had some sort of incentive to, you know, do a playoff play and he got a bonus for it. It was just a, it was a weird one. Mm. And the, the drive ended with Tannehill finding tight end Anthony Berkser. Got to be careful that I've got my teeth in when I say that with the go-ahead score. First touchdown thrown and the first touchdown caught by the pair in the postseason. Patriots followed up with a touchdown drive of their own, possibly 
Tom Brady's last in his New England career. Brady went four for four to four different targets. And it was another play deep in the playbook that gave Pats the lead on a Julian Edelman five-yard run to the right. Three punts later, and the Patriots managed to extend their lead to six with a second fault field goal. If this was the old Pats, it would have been a touchdown drive. But this was a Pats team that really, that you know, without a tight end, you know, okay, they've, you know, Gronk's long gone, but they, they did not find anywhere near a replacement. I'm, I'm thinking if they had someone like Jared Cook as tight end, it, it could have been a completely different outcome. So New England had first and goal at the one, but three runs over left tackle resulted in a total of minus two yards. Really incredible job by a very underrated Titans defense. Drive that followed by the Titans was 100% Derek Henry, and he was responsible for all 75 yards. 53 on the ground, 22 in the air, as the Beaver caps it with a one-yard score, and the Titans take a one-point lead into the half. Score remained the same throughout the second half as teams traded blows but no knockout punches. That was until right at the very end when a Brett Kern Titans pump was downed at the one by the delightfully named Dane Crookshank. Brady in his own end zone with nine seconds left went for a short button hook to Mohamed Sanu. The ball bobbled in the air and a grateful Logan Ryan snatched the ball, ran nine yards for the score. Two-point conversion was no good. And with the final play, the Patriots made an absolute royal mess of some sort of miracle return. And that was all she wrote. Mm. Ryan Tannehill earned his first playoff victory and a place in the final eight, despite completing just eight passes for 72 yards. Derek Henry was easily, easily the game MVP and finished with 204 total yards. And he actually handled 62.5% of the Titans' offensive plays. So huge credit to Titans head coach Mike Rabel, who wanted to pound the rock from the opening kickoff to the final whistle. And he didn't panic even when Tannehill threw a second half interception. AJ Brown, who has been on absolute fire towards the tail end of the regular season, had one catch for four yards. And in fact, the Titans wide receivers caught two passes for 10 yards. But this didn't even matter as the Titans go on to win the game. Mm. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, quite a lot of people were predicting it, weren't they, earlier? It was a trendy pick. But uh, yeah, Mike Vrabel, of course, won three Super Bowls with New England as a player. Um, New England subjected to their first uh, loss at home in the playoffs since 2012, of course, against that game against a Baltimore. I think that's when Julian Edelman, Edelman did his uh, ACO, I think, in that one. Um, but yeah, Tannehill's first career playoff start and his 101st uh, start in, in terms of all games. Um, I did find it quite interesting, actually, when with that Edelman uh, rushing touchdown, the um, kind of the mind games between Brady and Edelman you know Brady's trying to make out that Edelman's in the wrong spot getting him to move and then um yeah obviously then the motion and then the, yeah in he goes to to the uh, into the end zone so uh yeah that, that was quite interesting yeah but to uh, be interesting to see, obviously we've got six months now to see the fallout from all of it does Brady return does Belichick return and all the rest of it as well so um plenty of off-season time for that kind of chatter that's the AFC then for second down time to move into the Sunday games the NFC wildcard games in third down Third down. 
Okay, this one is Minnesota at New Orleans. Minnesota stunning the Superdome into silence with a win in overtime this one as well. Someone told me today it was the first overtime win for the Vikings in, in history today, so I'm not sure if that's playoffs or if that's in ever, but I've, you must think that the Minnesota Vikings have won a game in overtime, but I will go and verify that one, but surely that can't be true. But anyway, um, Minnesota did actually get off to a really poor start. Adam Thielen fumbling on just the second play of the game and pretty much nip and tuck for most of this one. Defense is uh, getting on top the more the game went on but um, yeah teams exchanging field goals before Taysom Hill with a 50 yarder to Deontay Harris setting up uh, Alvin Kamara for the first score of the game Vikings almost with an instant reply with a drive getting to the one yard line but um, the defence Cameron Jordan and all the rest of them holding firm settling for a field goal uh, and Dan Bailey then a bit of a momentum swing Drew Brees uh, with an ugly interception towards the end of the first half really unnecessary throw to be quite honest um, and then seven plays later Davin Cook found the end zone on a five yard run nice cut back uh, and there you go game on it was 13 10 at the half um yeah will Lutz had the opportunity to tie it um with a few ticks left remaining in the first half but misses a misses a field goal wide to his right second half teams exchanged punts uh davin cook once again found the end zone from i think one from one yard out uh, and then Taysom hill who has to be said was pretty much the uh the spark for that new orleans saints team you know drew Brees really having a, ba- a bad time of it but yeah Taysom hill also on a kind of on a motion on, and then running a wheel route kind of um yeah into the end zone with a, a nice easy touchdown for him as well um no doubt there's a stat on him later in stats life on fourth down but pretty much as the game went on like i say the Saints and Drew Brees really really struggled a uh, big moment in the game was when Dan- Danielle Hunter forced a fumble uh, with the Saints in field goal range with the score at 22-17 uh, obviously Saints looking to tie the game up but um, next play Dalvin Cook nearly returned the favour with a fumble but he was ruled down by contact with the knee just just about touching the floor uh, lucky for them and the Saints because that was returned into the end zone as well so um, yeah big swing there Saints did, did, did actually nearly blow it on their final drive illegal shift with 21 seconds left on the clock actually made it you know, ended up as a 49 field goal uh, 49 yard field goal attempt for Will Lutz but that did go through and it went to overtime but it was just the one possession uh, is all it took everyone's got their own opinions obviously on the overtime rules a big contentious decision especially when you have just the one possession obviously Kansas City and New England was the one last year uh, that everyone was talking about well, look, Lawrence what's your what's your opinion on the overtime rules I, I think that I think they work out fair now I don't think they were fair when you could with the old rules when you could kick a field goal and and win the game in overtime in, in the first possession. I like the fact it's got to be a touchdown. So you, you've got to be that bit braver. You, you've got to go for it. So I, I, I think it's fine as it is. Obviously, if it's your team that's suffered the loss and that you know you you, you concede that opening drive for that touchdown straight away. It's gutting, and, and obviously you want to rip up the rule book, and you want, um, you know, regardless of however the the person first person to score is, you want to be able to have an opportunity to to get a touchdown back. But I think the game would, I think the game would kind of descend into a bit of a farce, and you could end up with some ridiculous high scoring games, and it just goes on, and and then you start talking about player safety, and if you end up having a, you know, a, a a sixth, seventh quarter, in effect, in a playoff game. How does it then affect the team going to play the next game if they end up winning this absolute blockbuster of a contest? So I think it's harsh, 
but I think it's fair. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a harsh critic of, of the overtime. Yeah, especially in playoffs, you, you can argue that both teams should uh, should get a possession. But um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, every man and his dog's got an, an opinion, and most of them are all different. So uh, unfortunately, it's going to be there's always going to be someone somewhere that's not happy with the overtime rules. So um, yeah, it is what it is, and just yeah. They they all know they all know what the rules are. So um, yeah, if the defense can't step up and they allow a touchdown, then yeah, fair enough. Uh, but anyway, yeah, this overtime, Kirk Cousins pretty much silencing the critics as the air was flying through the uh, the ball was flying through the air on the forty three yarder to Adam Thielen caught at the two yard line, uh, which eventually ended up as a Carl Rudolph uh, touchdown on third and goal. But interesting, they didn't really look at that one with a bit of a bit of a push off there from Carl Rudolph, certainly extending his hands anyway. So uh, again, a potential offensive pass interference. Uh, but how much bigger deal we make of it if it wasn't against the Saints but um, it is what it is Rudolph scored the touchdown and that's all she wrote Minnesota will travel on uh, to the Bay Area next week as they travel to the 49ers but the question I've got for you Lawrence is what do you what do you think of Drew Brees obviously he struggled mightily in, in the game last night um, against the Minnesota Vikings was it a case of the Vikings just knowing that you know doing their scouting on him or is it a case of obviously the thumb coming into play obviously he had surgery on the thumbs out for four or five weeks um, and obviously he's getting old now, and he's not got he's, he's not got the biggest guns on the arms, is he? No, I think I, I think it kind of when they brought in Taysom Hill to to throw that big bomb that he he managed to complete. That's where you know it kind of struck me, and I was actually tweeting out over the game that kind of I, I think the bravest decision of all would have actually been to benched Breeze. Mm. He he just he just didn't look right the entire game. He, you know, yes, he, he had some had some big third downs here and there, but he just didn't look right. And then you got Taysom Hill, who was just kind of exploding absolutely everywhere. But I think if he would have been bought in as the actual quarterback, as opposed to the man who did everything, including selling the popcorn at halftime, then we, <laughs> we could have had a we we really could have had a different outcome. I think Taysom Hill was it's you know when you, you get people on fire if you've ever played um. NBA Jam on a on a you know on a yeah, yeah, yeah. console or anything, and and the player kind of lights up and he's on fire, and and Taysom Hill was absolutely on fire, and it's just for goodness sake, just get him the ball, mm. just get him the ball, and it, that's that's where it was a real shame in the, in the fact that Taysom Hill didn't get an opportunity to touch the ball in overtime because mm. I think if he he was he was that kind of fired up that he could have done something absolutely special had they had a possession. But I, I think this is the end of Drew Brees. I really do. You know, coming back from a surgery aged over forty on a team that is, you know, I think I think they're starting to head in a different direction. Mm. And I think this this is, you know, it's it's a shame, but better to go out now than than another NFC championship game mm. when that when that would have been even more heartbreaking. Mm. So yeah, I. I, I I'm sorry to say, I think this is we're coming to the end of the the Drew Brees era. Mm. Yeah, he set he set every record going, and and he's an absolutely incredible quarterback. But this this could be a, a you know a sad loss to the NFL. It could be you know Brady and Brees going mm. by the end of this season. Mm, I wonder if one if one retires, the other one will, will as well. Because I know obviously the competitive nature of those two guys, uh, certainly with the records, can still topsy and turvy and flip flop, uh, especially with like the number of touchdowns scored. So I wonder if one stays, the other one will try to as well. And I know Drew Brees, who seemed to have his mouth uh, his hands more, in his mouth more than a five year old. Um, yeah, it would be very hard for him to put his cleats up and hang his helmet on the uh, 
in the in the dressing room there. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Obviously, yeah, he's he's not didn't did not perform well yesterday, and that running game didn't really get going either as well. Avin Kamara, I think we've touched on in previous podcasts. Avin Kamara and that running game is not quite the one uh, that was there last year or the year before as well. But uh, it'd be interesting to see. I'm I'm sure him and Sean Payton and all the rest of them there will come back uh, come back firing next season. Uh, talking to quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins on the other side, obviously, um, he gave it the big one in the locker room afterwards, didn't he? With uh, you, you like that kind of thing, but. Um, yeah, I mean, if you obviously the knock on him going into the game was his his performances in the big game. So coming into the game is obviously, you know, versus winning teams, he was six and thirty in road games. He was seventeen twenty six and two, and in overtime games he was not two and two. So uh, he's managed to at least kind of put one in the right column, if you know what I mean. But he's still got a way to go to kind of rectify those stats um, as well. So one and one playoff record as well now. So at least he's 500 for that. Uh, let's move on to the final game then of the weekend. Seattle taking the win in Philadelphia. Um, what did you, what, before you get into the uh, into the crux of it, Lawrence, what did you make of the hit by uh, Jedevan Cloudy? I was going to ask you. I've got, I was coming up to ask you mm. about that. Yeah. I thought it was a, a legitimate hit. I didn't think it was malicious. I think it came down. He, if you, I, I watched the replays, um, kind of just before doing the pod. I thought I knew we were going to we were going to be talking about that particular hit, and I, and I, I watched it on replay on Game Pass, and he went down, and he went to he, he went to give him a, a hard hit with his shoulder, but he went in with the shoulder. It just happened that his helmet hit Carson Wentz's helmet, and and Wentz just went down, and he, he just hit the he hit the floor hard. And he saw it. He walked off. So nobody was actually talking about it. Mm. Um, no, it took him a while. Yeah, it took a couple of minutes. They, didn't they, it? And and if it was that a malicious a hit, they would have replayed it and they would have gone on about it. But they didn't. And because Wentz walked off, he looked slightly woozy just as he kind of came to the sideline. But they didn't. They didn't linger on the shot. They just took it as a you know failed to get the first down on third down. The Boston Scott kind of. Um, Pass didn't didn't quite work, and now you know they just kind of moved on. Okay, next possession. Mm. And it wasn't until kind of late in the first quarter, I think, within the last couple of minutes of the first quarter, when he saw that that kind of iconic image of of Wentz trundling off to the to the locker room, that it suddenly kind of hit home. And then obviously everyone's scrambling back to go, oh, what happened? What caused it? Because it certainly wasn't talked about at the time. No, no, I, I agree. It was was certainly um, was certainly missed, and then, I, said, I, well, I don't know what it is about Carson Wentz when he scrambles and goes for it. He just, oh my god! I mean, I know, I know he's, he's obviously he's not injury prone if you get concussed because that's just the way you know the way things go. But yeah, I mean, in terms of Clowney, I mean, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because he doesn't put his arms out, but he, he goes with like you say, he goes with his shoulder. But it, obviously, Wentz goes a bit further down. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of knows what he's doing there and he's kind of using. I wouldn't say his experience, but yeah, he knows what he's doing there. He's his head could have been a bit higher up, and he could have gone in at a slightly different angle. So, um, yeah, it's not. It wasn't great. Obviously, he probably didn't mean to hit him on the head as hard, or you know, in probably the way he did. Probably just mean to just give him a nudge, just to let him know you're there. You know, like when a in soccer, when a centre back kind of kicks the for, the centre forward, just to let him know he's there, that kind of thing. But um, just obviously hit him in the sweet spot of the helmet, and obviously, yeah, and. Hit, hits the floor um, and say comes off a bit woozy and then yeah, a couple of minutes later and then goes into the locker room so um, yeah again it kind of killed the game from that point really but it's obviously Josh McCown coming in uh, doing doing a good job but do you just want to take us through the rest of the game? Yeah 
I mean, this was the lowest scoring game of the wildcard weekend, which was absolutely no surprise considering the injuries both the Seahawks and the Eagles were dealing with coming into the contest. But it was a game injury, an in-game injury that dealt a clubber lang like smack in the face to the Philadelphia faithful when they lost Carson Wentz just eight minutes into the game, courtesy of that Jadavion Clowney hit. Wentz hit his own head hard on the ground but walked off under his own steam. Problem was that the next walk he made was to the locker room and he was not out on the field again. As 40-year-old Josh McCown came in to become the oldest quarterback to make his playoff debut in NFL history. So with losses at wide receiver and tackle, this final blow was just too much for the Eagles to handle in a game that eerily ended with the exact same score as these two teams had in their regular season matchup, which is thoroughly bizarre. Yeah, mind-boggling. The hero of the game would have been Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson on most days as he had an outstanding game, passing for 325 yards and rushing for a team-leading 45. But the premier performer was one of his targets, and that was rookie wide receiver DK Metcalf who is built like a superhero bodybuilder. Tim, did you see that shot of him? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I was like, oh, God, what on earth is that? That's I, not I, a human being. I, I remember at the start of the season, I, I put a picture net of him flexing next to a, uh, next to a picture of a, a pack of Pringles. We call him Pringles <laughs> on the podcast. He's stacked. Oh, my just unbelievable, wasn't it? I mean, just that... The only guy that I can think of, and I don't don't even know if you know who this guy is, was um, a guy who played for the Cardinals called David Boston. No, I don't know if you remember him at all. Probably not. No, but he <laughs> he if you if you look if you Google him up um, after the end of this, he had a, an absolutely chiselled body. He had a rubbish rubbish career, but he was again he was built like a proverbial house of bricks. So just just look up David Boston because there hasn't been there's not been a NFL receiver of that physique since, and I think DK Metcalf is unique in in his size. I know um, AJ Brown is is you know built strong, but this is a guy who's just you know not mortal, and his seven catches for 160 yards in his playoff debut is already a Seahawks franchise postseason record. And his third quarter 53-yard touchdown was the final nail in the Eagles' coffin, putting Seattle up by 11 and a lead that they never relinquished. The game, marred by that first quarter injury to Wentz, started slowly for both offences. And 28 minutes in, it was 3-3. The first quarter included a block field goal by Eagles' spicy defensive lineman, Mr. Vinnie Curry. With just under three minutes left in the first half, the Seahawks started a drive at their own 18. And on third and four, Wilson found DK Metcalf for a lung-busting 26-yard hookup. Again, on the following third down, Wilson went deep, hitting David Moore for 38 yards, followed by penalties by both teams. And then a first and goal from the five. It was time to grab a handful of skittles, ladies and gentlemen, as Beast Mode made the biggest cameo of his career, running up the gut, before simply powering past about three defenders at the Mm. goal line to give the Seahawks a lead. They didn't relent for the game. In the third, Josh McCown led a field goal scoring drive, but then Wilson took command 
and waiting for just the right coverage, went deep again, and there he was again, DK Metcalf. He did a lot of extra work at the end of the catch, including a huge forward thrusting dive to score that 53-yard touchdown. And it was set up by arguably the best play call of the game. On a third and one around kind of midfield and expecting a beast mode run, Lynch actually wheeled out to the right, caught the ball instead of running it and rumbled for 20 yards. I think that was my personal favourite play of the game. Mm. Not a not a touchdown, but an absolutely crucial third down conversion. McCown managed his final scoring drive of the day following that and possibly his career, getting the Seahawks getting to the Seahawks 24 before Coach Peterson went conservative. And if we were talking about Jason Garrett corner, um, we'd be we'd be questioning why Peterson chose three consecutive runs when in you know in such a sort of crucial part of the game. Yeah. Third Jay Kelly at field goal went in and that was all the scoring for the game. In the fourth quarter, both the Eagles possessions ended in failed fourth down attempts, a McCown incompletion on a fourth and four, and a sack by the depending on how you how you view it, either the hero or the villain, Jadavion mm. Clowney on a fourth and seven. And again, it was DK Metcalf who was the star as he caught a 36-yard pass on third and 10 from the Seattle 11 that finished the game. Really, really risky play in such a in a in a game that was you know still able to be tied up with a touchdown and a two-point conversion, mm. but one that shows Pete Carroll and the Seahawks are that confident in their rookie receiver that they will look his way with the game on the line. Mm. Wentz ended the game with three yards passing. <laughs> McCown ended the game with 174 yards on 18 completions. But McCown, who looks like he's running with concrete boots, took six sacks. The Seahawks' run game minus Russell Wilson went 17 rushes for 19 yards, which is pretty shocking. And whilst the Legion of Boom may no longer exist whatsoever, the Seahawks' defense, led by all-pro linebacker Bobby Wagner, are a tough unit seven sacks and 12 and a half tackles for loss in a road playoff game mm. is a pretty good show. Mm. And thus, the final chapter of the 2019 NFC Least is written. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting that yeah, they set our stats there for the defence because I think they were one of the league's worst. I think they barely averaged two sacks a game um, going into going into that game uh, this season. But yeah, like you say, seven up, uh, seven, seven up. There you go. There's a drink. There's a, there's a there's a one there's one for you. They're coming out of my mouth and I don't even know it. Um. Anyway, yeah. But yeah, Seahawks progress. Okay, there are the games. Now, now time for for some stats in fourth down. Fourth down. Stats. Stats. Okay, so probably going to be a lot of love here for Taysom Hill. Probably going to be a lot of love here for some other bits as well. Lawrence, what have you got for us? Well, I've got one for you, Tim, which includes a little bit of a little bit of a quiz question here. Go on, then. So, bit of a conundrum. The first person to achieve this in the regular season was Steelers running back Joe Jerry in 1950, and the most recent in the regular season to achieve this was the Patriots running back James White. The youngest was 21 years old, and that was Brown's running back and returner Eric Metcalf in 1989. 
and the oldest was Vikings running back Darren Nelson, aged 32, in 1991. Walter Payton achieved this five times, but the record holder with seven of these feats is Steelers running back Tom the Bomb Tracy. What am I referring to? Jeez, oh, um, is it receptions by a running back? No. The Saints, Taysom Hill, who was on fire but didn't get to showcase his skills, achieved this in that heartbreaking overtime loss to the Vikings and is the first person in NFL postseason history to do this. What am I referring to? Somebody to have 25 passing yards, 25 rushing yards and 25 receiving yards in a game. Mm. There you go. Yep. And my little quiz question at the end. So, Taysom Hill was the first person to achieve this in the postseason. How many NFL players have achieved this feat in the regular season in total, in NFL history? Uh, Must be a couple. I'm going to go with five. 84. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Miles off. (laughs) There you go. But the first, you know, doing in, doing the postseason when it matters. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Uh, Big yeah. game, as I say. If if only he had the opportunity to touch the ball in overtime. Mm. I think that's one of the one of the great losses of the NFL yeah. season. Yeah. Uh, and as an addendum to that, Taysom Hill has more receiving touchdowns than Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs combined ever with two. Uh, it also has more receiving touchdowns. Uh, then AJ Green, New Hopkins, and the same as Calvin Johnson as well in playoff history. So there you go. Some uh, some good company there for a quarterback slash running back slash wide receiver and all the rest of it. So there we go. Uh, okay, my opening one. Well, we'll stay in the same game. So the Vikings opening drive at fumble might actually be a good omen for them. The last three teams to lose a fumble on the opening drive of any playoff game went on to win the Super Bowl. The Eagles did it in 2017. The Seahawks did it in 2013. And the Ravens did it in 2012 as well. So yeah, Vikings go down to the bookies and stick a, stick a, stick a nugget on the Vikings to, to win the Super Bowl because... Uh, there you go. Wow. Wow. That's a that's a good one. Mm. Cool. If, well, I, if I make you go well, Lawrence, it must be a good one. Yeah, yeah. That was, that <laughs> one, I, I'm pretty impressed with that one. So my next one is is a, a further bit of DK Metcalf um, love, as well as becoming the Seahawks' all-time single-game playoff receiving yards leader and the first Seahawks player to go over 150 yards catching in the playoffs something that Doug Baldwin nor Steve Largent ever achieved he also broke the record for the most receiving yards by a rookie in postseason history mm. his 160 yards were 14 more than the Eagles Jeremy Macklin from 2010 wow. who had the, had the record yep. and 18 more than Chargers Keenan Allen who had stats 142 in 2014 Mm. To give this a bit of context, which I like to do, I love to I love to give a little bit of Jerry Rice context here. It took Jerry Rice five playoff games before he went over 100. He gained 133 in the 1988 season NFC Championship win against the Bears, and in 29 playoff contests, Jerry Rice only went over 160 yards twice, twice in 29 games. Once in Super Bowl 23, beating the Bengals as a 49er, and once a 39 as a Raider against the Jets. Mm. 
There you go. There you go. We call that the Jerry Rice Index. Yeah, I think we should start that. Yeah. Need a little jingle for it, don't we? Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm got, my last one for today is Anthony Ferkser, as we mentioned in the uh, Tennessee Titans game. Tennessee, um, the tight ends, is the first player from Harvard to score a touchdown in in the playoffs in NFL history. So it's not all about brains. It's the brawns as well. Oh, definitely. I I love the I love the um, academic colleges. I know Ross Tucker from um, you know, one of my one of my favourite podcast listeners. He he went to one of the um, academic schools. Mm. You know, like Ryan Fitzpatrick. And yeah. I think that's the you know you can't kind of mention Ryan Fitzpatrick can you without his you know his college as well. That's so it. yep, good one, yeah. good one. All right. And my my final one today is it feels like a bit of a swan song for potentially three quarterbacks so i was i was looking this up just as we just before we started the pod and i thought my goodness we've had three 40 year old plus quarterbacks in the playoffs thanks to carson wentz getting injured and, and josh mccown coming in and i thought has have there ever been three playoff quarterbacks aged 40 or more in a season no this was the first time ever and in fact, the there have been fifteen quarterbacks in the Super Bowl era who have been over forty and played in the playoffs. Mm. And the oldest was a New England Patriot, not named Tom Brady. <laughs> Can you guess who it is? Um, no, probably not. It was. Vinny Testaverde. Oh, I could have got that one. Could've who was a backup quarterback and came in to took he took a knee. He didn't throw a single pass, but age forty three he came in to took the take the final knee of the game in a Patriots win against the Jets, I think in two thousand and seven. Hmm. So out of the fifteen quarterbacks um sorry, out of the fifteen games with featuring forty year old or more quarterbacks Brady has had seven of them. Drew Brees, two of them. Brett Favre, two of them. Josh McCown, one. And then two, they're, they're all in the 21st century. And the only two from the 20th century were Sonny Jurgensen and Charlie Connolly with one each. Hmm. So there you go. There you go. There you go. I don't, I don't think this is going to happen again in a hurry where you're going to have three 40-year-old quarterbacks playing in the postseason. Well, you never know. Drew Brees and Tom Brady come back next year. Who knows? No, I'm only joking. Um, yep. Okay. Well, there you, there you go. There's your there's your stats. There's your games coverage. So all that's left is for the referees to run in for the two minute warning. That's the two minute warning. Okay. Yes, indeed. A couple of minutes left to get you all up to date with all things uh, full ten yards. Don't forget, as I mentioned earlier in the pod, there'll be a a special podcast dropping a bit later in the week uh, where I talk to a special guest about the Dallas Cowboys head coaching change and what it means and what's all, what's everything going on there with Dallas and a special friend across the pond will be joining me for that one on uh, a bit later on in the week to preview the divisional round games Sean and Ewan will be back in between your ears for that and talking of you know kind of season in review type stuff
stuff now, isn't it, really? So uh, there are going to be some articles heading your way on a conveyor belt. All 32 teams will be covered with a little, um, I wouldn't say a paragraph. It's probably probably a d- decent read, actually. Um, you know, just a, a couple of paragraphs on, on each team, their season in review, and what they're going to be looked to do in the off-season as well. And, and talking of seasons in review, fantasy season uh, was obviously finished, and me and Rob got together at the weekend, and we published, and we, we got and spoke about fantasy football, um, kind of what went on, what happened, and fantasy playoffs, and all the rest of it as well. So go and check that out. Um, but I think until uh, Sean and Ewan a bit uh, on a bit le- back later on in the week, I think that's probably going to do it for us. So uh, uh, to round us off, we're going to have a very nice um, a, a tribute to Jason Garrett uh, and his little corner as he leaves the Dallas Cowboys head coaching position. So we'll play you out with that. But in the meantime, Lawrence, it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, good good times ahead. But uh, yeah, we'll speak to you soon, my friend. Take care, everybody, and I'm just—I can't wait to um, see my man crush playing on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it's, how how have you been? How's it been with the week off? It's been emotional. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, and then it's goodbye from me as well. In the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's a bye bye for now. A bye bye. Cue the music. Oh, you did, Jason Garrett was clap your hands. You stood there, did nothing but clap your hands. You may as well retire, cause your game planning was dire. All you did was stand there and just clap your hands. Oh, you did, Jason Garrett was clap your hands. You stood there, did nothing and annoyed the fans. You were under fire Cause you never took a flyer All you did was stand there and just clap your hands All you did, Jason Garrett, was clap your hands And you're no longer in Jerry's plans You're unlikely to be rehired You're pretty much retired Cause all you did was just stand there, clap your hands Let's all take a second to clap our hands Celebrate and get at all the marching bands Cause everyone got tired and he's finally been fired Cause all Jason Garrett did was clap his hands listening to the full 10 yards podcast follow us on facebook or twitter at full 10 yards or email the show full 10 yards at gmail.com